Good afternoon, everyone. This is Michelle Nix with WFMJ TV 21 with this edition of the 21 News Podcast. And I'm here today with Mike Mark Botruba, the Interim Chair of the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve. His areas of expertise include the implications of job loss for displaced workers and communities and the consequences of low-quality health care in the U.S. healthcare economy. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? Just fine, Michelle. How are you? Good. Thank you. So we're learning that national unemployment um, during this uh, coronavirus has hit 3.3 million, 180,000 in Ohio. The national numbers, these numbers break records, we're told. The national figure is more than four times the previous record set in the early 80s. What do you think about that? Well, it can't come as too much of a surprise. I mean, given the uh, severity of the social distancing measures that we've put into place and the stay-at-home orders <clears throat> that have been executed, uh, it's not surprising that this kind of slowdown in economic activity is going to lead to the loss of a lot of jobs. Right, and here in the Valley, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of shutdown of businesses, and a lot of people have lost their jobs as well. Um, sure, absolutely. I mean, you think about any industry where the, where the sales or the point of contact uh, happens through uh, personal interactions, which is a lot of how our transactions take place, uh, all of those are, are being impeded. Um, and so restaurants and bars and entertainment, uh, the entertainment industry and the travel industry, uh, those kinds of uh, sectors of the economy are going to be very hard hit for as long as, as, as this, uh, uh, you know, stay-at-home order is in place. What do you think ultimately this is going to do or what does this mean for our economy long term? <laughs> I think economists are very interested in seeing how this plays out. Um, so there's, uh, there's, there's a negative way this could play out where uh, if the government had not stepped in at all, um, that would have created a lot of long-term problems uh, from the fact that um, those industries, those sectors that I was talking about that are so hard hit, you start running into issues where people can't pay their rent and people can't pay their creditors. Uh, therefore, businesses that would normally be perfectly viable and successful uh, are instead going bankrupt and having to shut down. And so then even when we come out of uh, this, this, this uh, stay-at-home situation, uh, these businesses can't get reoperating right right now because there's too much debt sort of overhanging everybody uh, for the restaurant and entertainment industry to get back where it was before, which doesn't say that we wouldn't get it back eventually, uh, but we've created a lot of dislocations that would take a long time to recover from. Um, the more uh, positive possibility, and I, I would say that the passage of, uh, of the legislation of Congress makes this possibly more likely, is, uh, is that we're going to help these businesses and their workers through this period of a temporary shutdown uh, and to hopefully prevent these kinds of, um, you know, preventable bankruptcies um, 
per, you know, damaging these uh, these otherwise viable firms for longer than they need to. So some of the companies in our area that have shut down, we have like Brentwood Originals that uh, they make pillows and, and things like that. We have Things Remembered. Um, they make some beautiful items um, that people give as gifts, that uh, things that are engravable. Um, we have Mac Trailer, Ventra, um, also probably didn't say enough about that, but you're absolutely right. With in, in manufacturing activities where the manufacturer requires workers to be in the plant working alongside one another, uh, well, those activities aren't going on right now. And so all of those kinds of operations are going to suffer for as long as this stay-at-home stay situation is in place. Do you think that um, all of those people that are on layoff will be called back? That would be the ideal situation, um, that the financial assistance would be enough so that companies that were doing well before um, would be able to uh, restart themselves uh, without, you know, having to declare bankruptcy in this interim period when they couldn't pay creditors off. Uh, if, if that... If we accomplish that goal and, and firms are able to, to start back up without that debt overhang, um, then you can imagine a scenario where, where, where at least the vast majority of workers get called back. Um, I'm sure it's not going to be 100%. I am sure there are going to be um, some shaking out of, uh, of some firms during this. Uh, it seems inevitable. What seems so tough for a lot of these companies as well is the economy was on a high. I mean, things were going so well for everyone. And, you know, when this happened, I, I mean, it just snatched the rug out from under everyone. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I guess maybe I just throw a little bit of contrariness onto that. Um, I mean, I think the reality of the story is we were running an economy that was growing, what, about maybe 2.7% growth a year. Uh, and we were doing it while running a federal budget deficit of somewhere close to a trillion dollars. I think it was going to be $900 billion. Uh, now, the next federal deficit is going to be, you know, close to $3 trillion uh, for legitimate reasons. But uh, but if you're running your economy uh, with, uh, with a permanent deficit of a trillion dollars, um, and you're managing 2.8% growth, um, that's not something economists would tell you to brag to everybody about. Right. I can understand where you're coming from there. Well, we pay that all back. I mean, usually uh, we think, you know, we economists believe that running deficits of that magnitude would be justified if we're trying to prime the economy up uh, because we're in the midst of a recession. But the idea that we'd be running deficits of that size permanently and then patting ourselves on the back that we're able to sustain 2.7 or 2.8% growth on that, um, that's not a huge accomplishment. Uh, what it tells me is that if we were running our uh, budget in a way that was actually sustainable, um, that that growth would have been much, much less. You know, we're basically, uh, you know, creating some artificial increased growth in the short term by running those deficits. But the debts are still going to have to come and get paid. 
And, uh, and that's the part of, of, of this, uh, you know, this economic boom uh, that I think people don't quite understand. Um, for the size of the deficit we're running, uh, we should expect more, or we should be dealing with the budget crisis. But that's all in the past. Now we've got this new crisis to worry about. And in the short term, at least, it's inevitable that the, that the deficits are going to go up because what? It looks like we're going to spend about $2.2 trillion in trying to combat the, uh, the disease itself and also combat the economic uh, ramifications of it. What happens if this pandemic um, and the impact of it goes on for, say, two more months at least? <laughs> yeah, this is another piece where I think economists are really uh, watching with great interest. Um, I, I, if it goes on for two months, for one thing, one thing that's already happening is going to continue to happen, which is folks are going to, the economy is going to start shifting, uh, toward, you know, production methods that can be done, uh, via distance. And so at places like my university, this is already, you know, going on in full speed ahead with everything switching to online teaching, you know, virtually overnight. Uh, other jobs are are in the same position where people who used to work in an office now work at their home office. And there's going to be more and more shifting of this shape uh, going on in the economy, as well as the shifting of workers to certain parts of the economy that are would grow as a response to this, um, right? I mean, there, you probably have seen the news where Amazon is hiring a lot of workers, which isn't surprising because a lot of people now are having their things shipped to them. Uh, there are going to be parts of the economy which grow as a result of social distancing. And, uh, and I think we're, you know, over a two-month period, we see a lot more shifting towards those. Um, what I don't, you know, what I, what, what, I, what I find hard to predict is how the overall state of the macro economy would do. Um, that if there was permanent um, reductions in our levels of productivity for that long, there would come a limit to how much the federal government would be able to keep um, sending out, you know, support to everybody uh, to try to maintain everybody's uh, standard, you know, current standard of living um, if the productivity is taking a 30% hit for, you know, for three or four or five month time. Uh, it's one thing if we get through this in a couple of months, but... If this is going on in four or five months, um, then suddenly that $2.2 trillion does, begins to not even look like enough money. Um, and then and, and, and you wonder where it goes from there. So, so let me just say that I, I hope it doesn't go on, you know, for that long. I, I, I don't have a, a good prediction uh, for where it would be, but I'd be very concerned uh, that we get the longer this goes on, the 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 red or the or the possibility of this turning into something truly disastrous will definitely increase. A lot of people are worried about if it turns into you know like a crime issue and and, and people you know breaking into places, right. looting that yeah. type of thing. Right, you know I've done so. So I have some research in this area, and I've, I've you know talked to, been talking to people about this topic because of that recently. 
And, and my research pertains to uh, what happens to criminal behavior when someone loses their job as part of a, a sort of a normal economic shock. And specifically, we look at people who lose their job because their plan's downsizing. Uh, so it's no fault of theirs. They just happen to lose their job because the plant isn't doing well. Uh, and we see pretty sizable increases among young male adults, uh, about 20% increases in crime uh, when you lose your job. Uh, and so I get asked questions like, well, should we expect a crime wave, you know, if people are, are, are losing their job in this situation? And, and my, my answer to that is, uh, is the context really matters. And, and in this context, people are being asked to, to stay at home. And, um, that's, you know, that, that's limiting the opportunities, uh, for cr- criminal activity when, uh, when the streets are virtually clear, when there's, uh, nobody at the bank to rob, uh, and there's nobody on the streets to, to mug or to get into altercations with, uh, but the police are still on the streets. Uh, I, that's not a setting where that would lead me to expect a big increase in crime. So, so it is true that when people lose their jobs, there's an increase in the, in the likelihood of them committing crimes. But in this setting where they're losing their job and everyone at the same time is being forced to stay at home, uh, that doesn't strike me as uh, as a setting where you should expect a big crime wave. I, in fact, I would be surprised if we don't see crime rates go down uh, during this this period, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, um, I would, you know, one thing we're already seeing is there's going to be an increase in, in uh, fraud related to COVID uh, COVID nineteen tests and uh, and treatments. Right, people will try to profit here in some way on that. Uh, and we're also, uh, you know, could potentially see increase in things like domestic abuse or something, just from the fact that, uh, you know, that people are being forced to, to stay in, uh, you know, in, in, in tighter quarters with their family without, uh, as many opportunities to leave as they had before. So, so that's a possibility as well. So, uh, so my, I don't know. So my overall projection, I would just say, is that it's just that crime to go down, not up during this, this, this period. Do you also have a concern about um, the fact that the, the pressure of all of this, especially on those who are breadwinners, if they're losing their jobs, um, maybe there's concern about maybe suicide rates or alcoholism? Yeah, like that. right, right. Well, certainly the, the alcoholism and, and the, the increase in mental health problems Depression. There's certainly evidence of that in the literature, and, and our paper specifically points to a large increase in alcohol and drug crimes uh, committed in the aftermath of losing your job. Uh, so we can't directly say that's the result of depression or, or mental distress, but um, because we don't have sort of the data to measure those things, but it certainly fits with that overall story. Um, so I do think it is true that job loss generally has those kinds of effects. Um, I'd say that this is a different different scenario in an important respect where um, uh, a lot of times when people lose their job, uh, it, it feels more like an individualized thing, um, um, like, you know, somehow you're failing or something. Um, and when you lose your job as part of something as massive as this, that obviously you could not have any uh, individual control over. Um, I, I would hope that 
folks who lose their, their job in this sort of circumstances, uh, you know, don't feel uh, badly about it. I mean, they obviously don't deserve to feel badly about it. Right. Do you, how long do you think, though, that it'll take to get the economy going again once people get back to work? Because a lot of younger people that I've talked to said, you know, they may have apartments and that, but they can't pay their rent right now because they've had, you know, maybe two part-time jobs and they're not working either one of them, you know? Yeah, right. Um, so I, I won't try to give an exact prediction. I think I will say that the idea that you're just going to flip a switch and everything will be back to normal is certainly wrong. Um, there are a lot of pieces of the economy where people have to, and parts need to get moved into place for things to get revved up again. Uh, in this particular situation, you know, where global supply chains have been disrupted the way they have, um, there are a lot of things that are going to have to be reworked out. Um, so I, I would put, uh, I think my best estimate here would be maybe get it five or six or maybe even seven months uh, before you'd see a return to normalcy. Right. And do you think maybe people will learn a lesson from this, that they need to have some type of savings because you, you really can't predict at any time what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a nice thought. Uh, Americans are not renowned savers. Um, so, um, so I don't know. I, 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 there might be on the margin some people who learned that lesson from this experience. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be a major lesson that comes out of this. Um, and you know, given the size of the of the, of the event and, and also the magnitude of the response and the, and the help that's going to be coming out, um, you know, at least on the back end of this, um, people will hopefully not suffer too badly, even if they didn't save enough. And, you know, economists will tell you that if, if someone feels like they're insured against a certain event already by the government, then maybe they don't need to insure against that event themselves. And and, and so what you're talking about, having backup savings for this type of event, you know, if we if we feel confident the government's going to step in, then, then probably we don't feel like we need to have that backup savings. Um, so I don't see that being a major lesson coming out of this for anybody. Uh, I think the lessons are more on the healthcare uh, side of things. Um, the fact that we, you know, overly rely on other countries to, to supply some critical medical supplies um, was an awakening to me personally, and I think to a lot of other people. And uh, I think we want to make sure that we have some key, some key types of materials um, uh, on stockpile. And it was kind of a surprise to me that um, that we you know, would have a shortage of things like surgical masks. Okay. How many businesses, or if you have a guess or estimate of how many businesses might not survive this? <laughs> no, I, I don't have a big guess. I don't have a big guess, but I, I will, you know, the, the I was giving that sort of best-case scenario and worst-case scenario. I think given the amount of effort we're putting into this, I think uh, effort meaning the amount of federal assistance that's going to be going out, uh, I, I think the, the net uh, business loss from this will be held down. Um, 
but we're going to guess, let's say, somewhere between 3 to 5% uh, firms uh, might go under, uh, and they would be smaller firms. Um, and, and it would also be firms that were living closer to the margin to begin with. But I want to say that's under the, my rosy scenario that just doesn't go into five or six months and that the assistance uh, in this $2.2 trillion uh, does its job as far as uh, allowing uh, those those otherwise viable firms to get started back up without uh, the, the problem of having this debt overhang from uh, from the three months or the, uh, you know, from the three months of shutdown. All right. Anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, not too much. Just everyone needs to stay home and stay healthy and, and hope we, uh, we get to the other side of this quickly. Definitely. Thank you so much, Mark.